Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Kristen McLaughlin. She's elected committee woman from Hopewell Township since 2017 to present. She also has been the mayor of Hopewell Township from 2019 to 2021, elected twice by township committee to one year terms. She's also part of the Democratic Committee Hopewell Township since 2017. She has also done a lot of volunteer work at Lawrenceville School and the Chapin School where she has been a member board of trustees from 2014 to 2020. She also is involved with the US rowing teams hosting the national rowing team during their training educated in Teachers College Columbia University with a MA in elementary education and she has her undergrad from Harvard University in Scandinavian studies personally she's married with three children enjoys running tennis walking her two big dogs Hi Kristen, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you so much Divya for having me. This is really I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Let's start with your background. So you come from a family of people in politics. So let's start there. I do. I come from um from both sides my both my mom and my dad's side uh are have long ties to their communities uh serving as elected officials. My father's grandfather was a governor of Kansas uh from 19 I think 13 to 15 somewhere in there. Uh he was a progressive democrat, was very responsible for getting women the right to vote in the state of Kansas before they were nationally uh believed in adding women to his administration which was you know i mean you think about those times uh women had almost no options outside of the home uh and he wanted to build a lot of roads so that he could connect people um fast forward a number of decades uh my mother ran for the Kansas State Senate uh, as i was graduating from high school and took her seat uh which she held for 16 years she chaired the tax committee she was very involved in education she really worked hard to make sure that the citizens of Kansas had a strong representation of of good values at the state level and uh you know she and I are different parties but I I could still vote for her so as I got a little bit older and my children were more independent in doing things my oldest daughter gave me the push to get involved here in New Jersey and it has it has been an incredible amount of fun and I'm really you know I've really gotten an on the ground look at why it's important for good people to run for office because the decisions that are made especially at the local level really do impact our communities and if if good people stay on the sidelines and and especially women you're missing an opportunity to affect the way your children grow up the way your elders are treated in their community every single decision that that a municipality makes directly affects the people who live there and it's been so much fun so your daughter you said pushed you into this but you do come from a family that has been in politics so didn't you want to get into politics initially i did but i just sort of needed you know i think everybody kind of needs that nudge to say hey now is the time one of the things that i liked about what my mom was doing um it was really unusual at the time there were only four women senators in the state senate in kansas uh they called them the skirts which you know my mom sort of and her, and her her friends took as 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 a challenge um you don't get to chair the tax committee without proving your worth to the men who hold most of the power and so they they took that challenge and ran with it growing up i had all levels of politicians from the state of kansas 
sitting at our kitchen table and I, I knew I had shaken hands with the people I got to vote for. And when we moved here to New Jersey, you know, the, the, the media landscape has changed. So there's not much coverage of local elections. Um, and, and New Jersey is a strange market anyways for media since we've got Philadelphia and New York and you really don't get a whole lot of New Jersey specific coverage. So it's really hard to get to know your local elected officials. And I felt like I, I was just making educated guesses when I went to the ballot, um, when I filled out my ballot. So I decided to start going to some meetings and start meeting the people um, who were making the decisions. And at the time, this was January, 2016, politics hadn't yet really changed. Uh, November of 2016, politics changed. I think the energy of that election will carry through for a while. But in January of 2016, nobody was, nobody was interested in running for office. Nobody, I think people really felt like what, they, what their local elected officials did didn't make any difference to their lives. And so they were begging people to run. And I went home, I talked to my family about it. I thought about what I wanted to do in the next five years. And I realized that my, I didn't really have a good plan. Um, and that this was something that I felt comfortable taking on. I enjoy it. And so I stood for office and that election, the, the general election of 2016, I was the top vote getter. Things have taken off from there. Ran again in 2019 and I've served two years as mayor. And now I'm running for county commissioner in Mercer County with a really great team. There's two men who, uh, one's a current commissioner, Sam Frisbee, and uh, Terrence Stokes, who has done a whole lot of great community work in the city of Trenton. We're going to make a formidable team. And I think we're going to be able to really do some good for the broader residents of, of Mercer County. All the best. We will be rooting for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so was being a mayor any different than what you had done prior to that? Being a mayor is different. And it's interesting because Hopewell Township's form of government is a committee form. So the mayor has no special powers or no special additional executive vested in the office of the mayor. But you are the one who goes out and has to explain to the public why you're doing what you're doing. And you are the one that, that networks with other mayors and other elected officials and advocates for your town. And that's really a, a big part of what a mayor does. And I, and I, I really enjoyed it. There are some incredible people uh, in office in the state of New Jersey. I'm blown away by how dedicated. And most of these, these mayorships, many of them are not full-time paid jobs. They're full-time jobs. They're just not very well paid. And so, you know, the people of this state are really so fortunate that there are people willing to dig in and do this work. That said, we need more women out there. In the 12 towns of Mercer County, there are only two mayors who are women, and that's just not enough. And when you walk into meetings, I am constantly amazed how in this very progressive state, we still don't have equal representation at the table. You just don't. And there's really no reason for that. Every town has issues that somebody needs to pay attention to. It doesn't take anything more than good communication skills and a willingness to work to get started. And 
I would really encourage, especially the young women who are listening to this podcast, you all have dreams of what you want your society to look like as you develop into the next generation of leaders and what you want the world to look like for your kids. But talking to the people who are in office can get you only so far. If you want those decisions to be made the way you want them, if you want to steer the ship, you need to get involved early and people will so embrace your energy and stand up and take those leadership roles early. Run for the local school board, run for your local municipal offices. There's so much, become an organizer. There's so much that can be done that can really impact your community. You don't need special training, special skills. You just need passion for your community and a willingness to, to get out there and, and and listen to what your community needs. And it's so rewarding. If you start early, it'll just become part of your life. So you mentioned you don't need special skills, but are there certain kind of trainings or subjects that would help you manage this kind of a role? So I have an education background. When I went to college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I toyed with law school. And in fact, I took the LSAT and was kind of moving that direction. Uh, my first job out of college was as a paralegal in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in the Rackets Bureau. I worked with the attorneys who were prosecuting the mob and other big organized crime organizations. And I, and I thought I wanted to go to law school. But as I got to the point of writing the essay, I realized that maybe that's not where my future lay. So I ended up going to Teachers College at Columbia and getting an education degree. I think to be a good elected official, you've got to have a couple of skills. You've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to collaborate with groups that might have competing interests and sort of be a mediator to find the common ground. Now, we're not seeing that at the federal level much. We haven't in a while, but to really be successful, you've got to be able to take ideas from a lot of places and get people working together. And then you need to be able to communicate that back to the affected groups why this is the solution, why this is the best path forward. You don't need a law degree, although it helps to be, you know, well-versed in kind of legal terms. But if you do get elected, you'll have an attorney that advises whatever body you're, and as long as you can listen to them, then you'll, you'll do fine. You don't need a degree in finance, although I will tell you, <laughs> it would have helped a little bit as my first budgets came through. It would be helpful to have some familiarity. But again, you can get that on the job. Um, I certainly didn't get that in my education background, but I have learned. You just have to be willing to, to study the subjects as they come to you because I've learned about sewer systems. I can tell you more than you will ever need to know about sewer systems. City water. I can talk about um, different kinds of paving for roads. I can tell you about the structure of police departments and why they are structured so and what the what are the negotiating rules for all the different unions i mean the things i've had to dive into none of them come into your my daily life but you just and you I, so i guess the last thing you really need is to be flexible because you just don't know what challenge is going to present itself to you so did you have any role models obviously my mother when i've done some reading of of the things that have been written about her in the past um my favorite quote from one of the lobbyists that she was working with is that is how much he enjoyed working with Audrey and how much he is looking forward to the things they're going to accomplish together. And especially because she's not doing what I want her to do right now. And I still respect her. 
And I think that's the kind of person that I aspire to be, is someone who sorts through all the options, picks the one that's right, and is willing to stand by that despite outside pressure. You got to find, you got to find the path forward that you think is best, and then be willing to defend that. So definitely my mother was an enormous role model. And then there are some other women that I have um, found as mentors locally, you know, people who've been in office or supporting other local officials through decades of real struggle because their ideas didn't always, weren't always the popular ones in the area, but yet they remain connected and engaged and willing to take phone calls at any hour of the day and night. Those women are so valuable to have on my side right now. So during your entire journey, were there naysayers that you kind of had to get along with or what were some of the things that worked for you in those situations? Depending on the scenario, but when you walk into a room and you're the only person who looks like you, right? There are subtle ways that those groups use to silence you. Little things like putting your seat at the end of the table or talking just talking over you when you try to say something, or, I mean, I've had people say, well, I'm sure you don't understand this because you've not seen this before. Things like that. You just have to be willing to stand up for yourself and say, yeah, you know what? It's not a, not a situation I've dealt with, but, but why don't you explain it to me? And then I will explain it back to you what I think. And you just, you take their negativity and you show them what you can do with that situation and and don't be afraid to project that forward. And then there, you know, there are small things like my first, um, the first conference of mayors, there's a conference of mayors that they hold every year down in Atlantic City. And I would get on the elevator in the morning with everybody else. No one would really make eye contact or, or talk to me. And I noticed they were all wearing their little mayor pins, stupid little something. But it was like, a, it was like an identifier that they could use. So I went down to the lobby, found the guy who was giving out the pins, threw one on myself and said, all right, let's see how this goes tomorrow morning. And you know what? Stupid little thing. But then people, oh, good morning, mayor. How are you? All of a sudden you have a, you have a place. So one should never have to change who you are in order to get respect in, in any field. But there are little cues if you're willing to just put on a jacket because- that's what all the men do. So if you want to, you just kind of put on your jacket, put on the pin. And then once you have standing in that group, then you can change the rules to be whatever you want them to be. But you got to get your foot in the door first. You also mentioned there are just two mayors right now mm-hmm. in, in the county. In Mercer County. Yep. Do you think there are certain perceptions that prevent women getting to positions like mayors of the towns? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. Um, one of the things I did to prepare for, for this conversation was I looked up you know, the statistics in New Jersey and there's an amazing Center for American Women in Politics out of Rutgers University. In the state of New Jersey, 30.8% of the state legislature are, seats are held by women, which is the national average. Now, when Governor Murphy got elected, he put a big Um, emphasis on appointing women to positions of power. So the cabinet is actually 52% women. When you start digging in, 34% of county commissioners are women. In the state Senate, 32%. I mean, it's just, there are barriers. There are clear barriers. And the only way we're going to change that 
is if women keep insisting on running. Our voices, I can tell you, my perspective in those rooms where there are only men, and I'm, I'm sure you've had the same experiences, we look at things differently. And those experiences need to be heard at the highest levels when policies are being made, because otherwise we are missing opportunities to serve our communities in the right way. Do you also feel women are usually considered the primary person in a relationship to take care of the kids and the family. Do you think that also plays a little bit of role? Because these offices, to your point, don't get paid a lot. It is a lot of responsibility and it is very demanding as well. I, I do. Um, I think it's I think it's really I think it's a, it's a big part of it. You know, I know when I was first elected and I certainly don't want to, I would get texts during meetings on how to cook dinner because that's something just that I had done all of those years and was very quickly turning it over. One of the challenges I think with this type of position is that most of the meetings are in the evenings. Seven o'clock is like a, a normal starting point. And some nights I'll, you know, I could have, some weeks I could have four meetings in a week in the evening. One of the things Hopewell Township, we, we have been discussing amongst ourselves is, is the low pay. We've all accepted the low pay because you know that we don't want, we want to be very respectful of the taxpayer dollars. I am very aware that that what I make in a year wouldn't pay for childcare if I had to do that. If I were a single parent and, and had to leave my kids someplace that I had to pay to go to my meetings, this would be a losing proposition. You know, I think communities are going to have to wrestle with what kind of representation they want and how much that that's worth to them as they go forward. You know, it, it is a big, e even now, especially during COVID, as everybody had all of their family around, I watched all of my friends go through the same things. And, and we moved meetings earlier so that we could cook dinner. Um, fortunately, because we were in leadership positions, we got to make those decisions. So again, you know, may not alter the, the balance of childcare in the family, but when, when you're in charge, you get to make the decisions that work for you. So it's another reason to, to aim, aim high. Were there certain values that you carried through all these years? The strongest value that I bring to this job is one, and it sounds a little bit cliched, but I really do believe that a rising tide raises all boats. We need to look at the community as a whole. And if I can help one group, ultimately that's going to help everyone else. And our connections to each other are the critical factor to, to good governance is that we have to be respectful of the fact that there are plenty of people out there who don't have voices. So we have to be their voices. So I think the value of community building and equality and equity, those are critical to being in public service. Then there's, you know, the obvious honesty you know, you, you've got to be willing to tell the hard truths to people who, you know, you got to tell them what they may not want to hear. No is an acceptable answer. Sometimes, no, we can't afford that. No, you can't have that. No, that's the wrong path to take. Being honest with people will will serve you well in the long run, and long run, and you'll be able to sleep at night. I think. I mean, I think those are the, really the two biggest. If you had to do this all over again, what would you do differently? Get started earlier. We moved here in 2008, and I got involved in, in 2016. You know, I don't know really looking back that I would have been prepared to lead much sooner than that. But some of those issues I had with not knowing who was running things. 
could really have been easily solved if I had just taken it on myself to learn a little bit more and start going to meetings. You know, one of the things that I know I am sometimes um, guilty of is feeling like I need to know everything before I do something. As I said earlier, you know, this job is really learning on the job. You just can't, you cannot prepare yourself enough for, I don't know, you know, animal control has picked up a bear somewhere and it has, I mean, there's just, there's so many bizarre things that go on. You know, you need to negotiate with the county over maintenance of a traffic light. There's, you just, there's not enough preparation. So the willingness to step up and take a chance and just trust your instinct that you can do this. I wish I had done that sooner. You know, I, I really do enjoy this. You know, I would have been able to enjoy it longer had I had I taken that initial risk earlier. So having to do this, right, the way you have described, you know, a lot of learning on the job, not knowing is okay. Do you think that has made you a better parent or a cool parent to your girls? You know what? I do. Um, I mean, we all know being a parent is is on the job training like none other. And the flexibility that you have to have because your kids present you with situations that, you know, I remember at some point talking to my father and, and my the door frame behind me, my one of my kids used to like to scoot up and sit at the top of the door. She would put her feet on one side and her back on the other. And I just remember saying to my father, dad, I never really thought I'd have to tell the kids to get off the ceiling, but that's something that I'm having to say like every day now, please get down from the ceiling. I, could you get down? I don't need fingerprints up there. Just come on down. Those kinds of issues as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. I also think as, as moms, part of raising strong kids is, is modeling the behavior. And we all know this. But it's a little harder when it is taking these bigger risks. But when I when I started running for office, I told myself, you know, one of the things that I was less comfortable with was speaking to groups. A lot of people have that as an issue. And I, I made a promise to myself that if somebody said, would you like to speak? I was not allowed to say no. I just simply wasn't allowed. So every opportunity someone offered me, no matter what size the group, to say yes, I would say a few words. And I went home and I told my kids about it. I told my daughters about it. I said, oh, mommy had to do this today. And it was really scary, but I pulled myself together and I did it. And I think that kind of lesson to give to your children is, is really important. They may not want to do it themselves right away, but in the back of their heads, they will know that this is something that they can do if it's ever presented to them. Do you think women need to work on certain types of skills? To your point, public speaking, a lot of, a lot of people have that issue, not just women, even men are scared. I think that was voted as the top fear amongst people, but are there certain qualities that women can develop that would really help them go far? I do think women need to be comfortable with approaching prob problems a little bit differently, but they need to be comfortable being strong. I think our daughters are better at this than, than we are. Growing up, you would soften your edge if you had the right answer in school, but you didn't want to make that other kid feel bad, you might raise your hand and instead of saying, Mrs. Thompson, the answer is this. You would say, Mrs. Thompson, I heard what he said, but maybe I kind of think that the answer is this instead. There's no reason to do that. You will be respected for your getting the right answer. When you were offered the opportunity to do a presentation, don't hesitate. Don't, don't soften the blow when you know that you're right and your colleague is wrong. You can do it politely, 
but you can present the right answer because that's what the client wants to hear. So I think, I think that's important, but I also think that there is nothing wrong, you know, with an encouraging smile and a nod to another colleague who's, you know, struggling. That's something I don't see men doing as well. They kind of sit and stare and whatever. I do think that there is a, a way to be a woman and still kind of be, I don't want to say a caregiver, but that's right now the term, but you can be encouraging to those around you and they in turn will give you support when you need it. And I think, I think that's something that we as women do really, really well. What are some of the things you do outside of work for fun? This past year, <laughs> a lot of cooking, a lot of exercising. We have two big dogs. Um, my family likes to travel and uh, we have, we like to go visit family um, in, in Kansas City. We have family down in Florida and the Carolinas, overseas in, in Europe. So those kinds of things. I love to read. I don't get enough time to, to do that, um, but, I, but I do love to read. And, you know, now I'm just so excited uh, just to be out in the world again. I mean, it's hard to remember what we did for fun prior to the pandemic. My 19-year-old uh, daughter and I went to the mall yesterday. I don't really even like to shop, but we had such a good time. <laughs> we, had, we had a wonderful time just, you know, kind of recapturing a little bit of, of normal life. And I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that as more people get vaccinated and, uh, and the numbers continue to go down, that we will have learned some lessons from the pandemic, maybe a work-life balance that works better for people, some work from home days, but also some office days, because we all do need to socialize with people other than our computers. There'll be some lessons we learned, but, you know, just getting out, being out in public again is at this point, a simple pleasure that I am reveling in. And hopefully we'll be more thankful, you know, just, just having the opportunity to walk on the same side of the road with somebody else who's not family. It's <laughs> going to be huge. Getting into an elevator and not like not panicking that, you know, oh my goodness, is there enough room in the corners for us? Just those, those very, very simple things. That's really what I'm looking forward to is a summer of a little time at the beach, seeing some family, maybe not cooking every single meal and uh, getting to breathe a little bit without any fear. You also said you loved reading. So what kind of reading do you like? So my escape reading is fantasy reading. I also like thrillers and then I have a whole bookshelf of political writings, Hillary Clinton's book, Barack Obama's books, um, Kennedy's books. I've, I've kind of worked my way through some of them. There's people who had the seats at the really big events in history. It's so fascinating to hear their personal looks at them. And I think that's just fun for me. So in closing, any final comments for our listeners? I want to encourage everyone to find the best way you can to become a part of a broader community than, than your own little world. Um, sometime after the 2016 election, when you know those in my circle were really upset by the outcome, I got a lot of phone calls from friends across the country saying, you know, I want to run for office. And I'd say, great, because I had just won my first election. It was a really mixed bag of a night. I was really happy, but country was headed on a direction that I wasn't happy with. Um, but I said, but hold on, stop and think about it. Is this the best way for you to use your skills to serve your community? Running for office isn't for any, everyone. I find it incredibly rewarding, but I can tell you, you know, there are weeks when we've made a decision where we get a lot of hate mail. 
lot of nasty emails from people who disagree. I can shrug it off generally, but that's not for everybody. So find what interests you. If you, you know, if you're really good with talking to your grandmother, well, maybe there's a senior center that could use you to help serve lunch. And then maybe you'll grow that into an organization that, you know, finds lots of volunteers so that you're doing something more than just one-to-one, which is, again, sort of what this podcast is about, is how to mentor folks in a broader group, which is just so important. Don't think that the only way to get involved in your community is, is, is any single path. Find what works for you. And I think that's, but don't be afraid to stretch a little bit. That's important. You don't want to look back 10 years, you know, 10 years ahead and say, oh gosh, you know, that opportunity that I missed, that I turned down could have really been the thing that launched me forward. And that would be really, really a shame. Thank you so much for your time, Kristen. This was such an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it myself. And, uh, you know, I I think you're doing a world of good. And uh, I'm just so pleased to be a part of it. Really appreciate that. Thank you.